Hi, welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. It is Tuesday, December 12th, and I'm Jessica Steinberg. I'm speaking today with Diaspora Affairs correspondent Kna'an Lidor and Tech Israel editor Sharon Robel. Hi, how are you both? Good morning. Good morning, everyone. It is day 67 of the war. The deaths of seven more troops were announced Monday, bringing the total number of slain soldiers in the ground offensive against Hamas to 104. Um, and this was, as Defense Minister Yoav Gallant said Monday, that certain Hamas battalions are on the verge of collapse. And as U.S. President Joe Biden vowed to keep military support for Israel until Hamas is gone. Uh, the U.S. also said on Monday that Israel, not the U.S., will decide when to end the war against Hamas. More details are emerging from the released hostages, including some who were kept in total darkness, children who were given ketamine to keep quiet, and just the sheer unknowns of what would happen from minute to minute every single day and every moment of their captivity. There are plans for the families, the families of the hostages, along with members of the Gaza border communities and other supporters to march to the Knesset today, Tuesday, which is the fifth day of Hanukkah. We will talk about Kibbutz Nachal Oz and its temporary quarters in another kibbutz, how consumer sentiment has reacted since the start of the war, and the surge in symbolic Torah scroll writing. All of that after a quick break. Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachuk's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis, so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachuk Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek team at www.sarachechlawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K lawfirm.com or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement and past results are no guarantee of future performance. Okay, Kanan, you visited with Kibbutz Nachaoz in their temporary quarters in Kibbutz Mishmar Emek, which I imagine felt unusual and bizarre, or maybe not at all. Tell us about it. Describe it to us. So I actually um, already talked a little bit in a previous podcast about uh, about that situation, but this is the first time that I've actually gotten access to Nachal Oz care of Mishmar Emek. Nachal Oz is obviously near the Gaza Strip and Mishmar Emek is near Fula. Uh, and uh, so I got to walk around the kibbutz and actually see how the people there live. Why is it important? Well, because it's the first and only so far kibbutz that moved lock, stock and barrel into another kibbutz. The rest of them, yeah, some members have moved into other kibbutzim because there are there was free housing there. Uh, most of the of the evacuees are li- living in hotels or community centers in cities. This is the only case where a kibbutz managed to kind of pick itself together and uh, 
lead the same lifestyle that that it did before and it's kind of a a pilot a test case to see how other kibbutzim will be doing in the coming months because it's going to be a while until they're back we're talking a year about a year 10 months those are the the timelines <clears throat> and uh, and there are plans for other kibbutzim to do the same but the problem is of course uh accommodations not every kibbutz has enough housing to fit in a whole other kibbutz it worked in mishmaramek which is huge huge kibbutz with a big factory tama um and uh and some free housing for for couples who were supposed to upgrade to a larger accommodation uh and that was put on hold to accommodate all the all the evacuees what i found that this does is it's a mix it's a mixed bag first of all it's very far away from the center of their lives this is a fula uh, and, and they live not so far from Tel Aviv, from San, from Be'er Sheva. So uh, oftentimes they have family there. It's kind of being cut off. Whereas staying at a hotel in, uh, in the Dead Sea somewhere is actually more convenient. And certainly they had the choice of moving into uh, Kfar Maccabiya near Tel Aviv. Uh, and still they decided to go for this kibbutz because... Um, well, there's a kind of an envelope of community, as it was explained to me, in the kibbutz. There's the the dining hall. Uh, there's the, the there are frameworks for the for for the kids for the for the youths. Although they don't use those of Mishmar Emek, they they kind of build their own. But it's a different feeling, uh, especially in this time of year, which is beautiful in Emek Israel. Of, of the foggy views and uh, mountain breezes that they're not used to. And so um, some are happy about it. Other, others are saying this is some sort of sentimentalism that we could do without. We could have just moved into a hotel near the center and been done with it. How big is kibbutz Nachoz? I mean, obviously, like Be'eri, for instance, is a very large kibbutz. Is Nachoz smaller? Do we know how many approximately residents there are in Nachoz? Uh, yeah, it's about 300, um, 300 people, 350, up from 250 last um, five years ago. How did they decide? Did they decide as a group, are we going to a hotel? Are we going to Kramakabia? Are we going to uh, to Kibbutz Mishmar Emek? Now, how did they make that decision, you know, two months ago? So in the Kibbutz, everybody sits down and votes. There was a vote. Uh, and that's also part of uh, kibbutz life. You know, you uh, <laughs> you have to you have to kind of go along with what the decision is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to accept whatever the majority votes on. And so the, that's that's the bit of frustration that I was mentioning. Some people really don't want to be there, but others feel that it's not convenient but healthier. Mm-hmm. And then, is there a a kind of mixing or integration? that is happening between the two kibbutzim that are living in essentially one space. Do you have a sense of that yet, or is it too early to tell? Not really, because the educational frameworks are separate, and they need to be because they have shorter school days and not very rigorous in terms of, of studying the actual material because they're they're shell-shocked. So um, with that, and the, the dining halls are separate except on Shabbatot, so there isn't much interaction. Okay, so are you going to keep on following this story? I'm curious. The Nachal Oz Mishmar Hamek, you're going to 
keep on sort of popping back in there to see how they're doing or sort of let them alone for a while? Well, for now, they're going to be left alone because they don't want anyone there. There's a lot of journalists and it wasn't easy gaining what access we did. Uh, but uh, I think in a few months, when we start seeing other kibbutzim move into kibbutzim, and there's there's talk of that uh, being prepared, uh, there 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 will have they will have been a few months further down the road. So it's very interesting to check up on them, and we'll certainly try. Okay, thanks for that, Kanan. Okay, Sharon, you're saying that you're seeing consumer sentiment drop to levels that was last seen during the COVID pandemic, during the lockdowns of the COVID pandemic, which of course there are so many details of life right now that feel like lockdown period. So tell us what you're seeing and we can sort of dig into that. Right. So, um, you know, the, the data that came out yesterday is actually for November. And um, let's just go back to October, which was really the start of you know the outbreak of the war. It's not very surprising that during that month we saw, you know, levels going down in terms of consumer sentiment. You know, there were also shops were shut, um, businesses were not operating. You know, the you know the country was in a state of shock. Um, now that we're sort of, you know, in the second months, uh, far into second months of of the war, um, we are seeing some sort of emergency routine um, life emerging um, during war. Um, we are seeing people going back to work more. We are seeing shops opening again. And still this month, um, the sentiment still came down uh, significantly, um, which, you know, is, is sort of an indicator that people are concerned about their spending. Um, so um, that might be a number of reasons. Uh, we've seen a lot of reservists um, um, on duty. Um, we also see a lot of the retailers putting people on unpaid leave. Um, so there's a lot of uncertainty around. Um, and the the major thing is that um, the big uh, one of the four questions in this survey from the Central Bureau of Statistics is, is, um, you know, how much are you inclined to make large purchases over the coming year? Meaning, um, you know, you're going to buy a car, you're going to buy a house, even furniture, electrical appliances. And this indicator was, was down the most in terms of people are feeling very, uh, nervous about spending. Um, and this might also reflect that they're worried about price increases. Um, now, you know, the most, the sectors that are the most sort of affected by, by demand, uh, you know, by, by the war in, in terms of the demand is sort of agriculture. We've seen obviously a lot of the southern communities being affected where, you know, we're getting our fruit and vegetables from. And um, so there's concern about supply, um, being delayed. And we are seeing already some, prices going up. I, I have to even say I've gone into a shop and the toilet paper that I'm buying has become more expensive. And and yes, they told me, yeah, they just put the prices up. So um, I think people are, are um, seeing, you know, are worried more about, it's an indicator showing that they're worried about price increases. And, um, and overall, the, you know, the during COVID, it was, a you know, consumer sentiment was down everywhere, at least the large countries and economies, and everyone was affected. 
um, obviously what we're experiencing now is in Israel. So this also makes a big difference also for the economy and the fact that people will be spending less while we're seeing like in the US, for example, that people expect inflation to come down a little bit, maybe even for prices to come down. And there we're seeing a rebound. So, um, you know, the next couple of months obviously will will tell um, if we're sort of a bit disconnected from what is happening sort of around us. Um, but it's certainly concern for businesses that people are going to spend less. Um, it's not good news, particularly in, in, in these times. Um, and also, obviously, because we, we don't know how long, you know, how long the war, the war will last and what to what extent. No, it's also interesting because there's the, it's obviously just the mood. On one hand, I, I walked into my local mall the other day to get something and I was shocked how crowded it was. I don't think I've been there since before the war began. And on the other hand, you know, you keep on hearing this over and over again that no one's really in the mood to make purchases, even if they can. And something else I heard that was interesting at a Hanukkah party, the wives of two reservists that I know were saying that actually they're making more money. Um, the money that they're making from reserve duty is actually a little bit better in some ways than their usual salaries. Now, these happen to be people who work on commission. But they were saying in terms of actual salary and, and income, that was not what they were concerned about. But of course, life is thrown into such upheaval that who's going to go buy a car or a TV or what have you? So I think that's also probably part of it. Right. I think people are buying more sort of what their immediate need, needs are. I've also, um, I live in Tel Aviv and I've also on Friday, I, I was out and about on sort of shopping streets. And as you said, and I also experienced the same, it was packed with people. Um, I do feel that a lot of, there's also, uh, there were more people, I think, because of a lot of people being displaced in different places from from the communities, and um, so they they are um, experiencing a little bit more life and, and going outside. Um, so I, I think, in terms of the immediate needs of of retail, that you know that sector might not be as affected, but but again, more the uh, construction, housing, furniture, electrical appliances, all of these um, might be affected also because, you know, things are not going to get to Israel so fast as before. And people are aware of it. All right. Thanks for that, Sharon. We're going to take another quick break. And when we're back, Kna'an will talk to us about a surge in symbolic Torah scroll writing. The world we live in isn't perfect, but it doesn't get better on its own. That's where the work of activists comes in. Whether it's environmental justice, animal rights, or disability advocacy, there are people all around the world striving to make it a better place. That's where All About Change comes in. Host Jay Ruderman talks with activists about how they do what they do and what inspires them to keep going. Because activism is all about change. Listen to All About Change wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so Kna'an, I've seen these reels and videos of these huge symbolic Torah scroll writing events. Please tell us more about it because I feel like I don't necessarily have the whole backstory. It's a big mitzvah to write in the Torah, at least for a man. Women aren't supposed to, uh, according to our Orthodox Judaism. <laughs> they can, but then we're not allowed to read it. Uh, so um, with that in mind, uh, there was um, a big 
Tor Scroll event, writing event at Hostages Square a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and in one of those quiet moments, we um, we suddenly heard music playing from a tent in the back of the square. So a bunch of us, the ones who were around, went um, exploring. It was maybe a concert. There were plenty of concerts there, but this wasn't announced. And what we saw are two performers, one strumming uh, guitar and the other singing putim liturgical songs um while a man with a quill was stand was was sitting at a table and those who instinctively got it kind of lined up to sit next to the guy with the quill and and the rest of us were asking hey what's going on and it was explained that this is a torah scroll writing and were uh, invited to participate the women they um they held, they hold the tip of the quill and um, the scribe actually does the writing, but that way they do participate. The men just put their palms on the hand of the scribe. And you can also ask to write your own letter if you want that responsibility, because if you botch it, then the entire Torah scroll is in kosher and, you know, hundreds of man hours down the drain. Uh, so, uh, you know, talking to the people there, it turned out that this is one of the Torah scrolls that kind of shifted in the into turbo mode because of the war. There are plenty. It's, this was the Simchat Torah war, right? That broke on the holiday where Jews celebrate their connection and love of the Torah, and so the connection is is immediate. Um, and there's there are also other forms of symbolism that make it um, very immediate for uh, a lot of devout and, and, and non-devout people. Uh, for example, the scribe uh, who, whom I interviewed there, his name is David Avraham. I told him, so what's the, like, what's the connection? We have all these hostages, we're in a war, but why are you going around and, and having people fill out those letters now? And he said, well, just like a Torah scroll, if it's missing even one letter, it's unusable and non-kosher, um, then we as a people, if we're missing these hostages, we can't go on and um, we're, we're broken. And so, um, you know, those are the kinds of parallels that people find in the Torah scroll writings. The same scribe is writing a Torah scroll, especially for Beiri. And President Isaac Herzog filled in uh, one of the letters. Actually, he wrote the letter, but he's a he's a big rabbi his grandson he knows his way around the Torah scroll so yeah so uh, me I just uh, I interviewed the guy and then they called me hey hey can I do you want you know <laughs> this is this was the, the Your main opportunity uh, right yeah you said symbolic so is there only symbolism to it or will this be a Torah scroll that's eventually used you know in a synagogue yeah, absolutely Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So this one that Isaac Herzog and Rabbi David Avram uh, wrote in on December 3rd, uh, this is a brand new Torah scroll that's going into the synagogue of Beiri. Beiri has... A synagogue? Yeah. I was surprised that it didn't have a synagogue because Beiri is a huge kibbutz. It's about 1,200 people. Big printing shop. Uh, a lot of people not from the kibbutz work in the printing shop. It was kind of... But then I learned that it only opened in 2006. There was plenty of discussions. I wasn't, it wasn't, the content of the discussions wasn't shared with me, but um, it wasn't, it wasn't unanimous. They opened a, a synagogue there in 2006. And right now it has two scrolls. One 
the original scroll that it had when it opened and another uh, named for dedicated just uh, last month for Amit Man the paramedic who died there treating who was murdered there treating um, others uh, and now it's getting a third and um, there's a bit of a space problem I heard from Rachel Priker who is the Gabait the caretaker of the synagogue she initiated the opening and if we're just um, revisiting that issue with women and the Torah scroll well you know she didn't write in the Torah scroll that's about to be dedicated for her kibbutz, but she didn't mark it because she had the honor of writing the first letter, Bet, Bereshit, Genesis in Hebrew. Uh, so she was the one who, in that technique where you hold the tip of the quill, she was the one who was invited to write the first letter. It's a big honor and uh, she's wholly deserving of it because she just lifted the synagogue out of out of nothing and the synagogue but the the scroll is uh, dedicated to Elchanan Kalmanson uh, a um a, a reserves captain who who was uh, killed there fighting uh be, because he just came with his brother and nephew from Otniel a a religious settlement uh, Beiri is very dovish very left wing very socialist so you have this this element of unity that that synagogue of Beiri from the secularist socialist movement it has a uh, Torah scroll that is named for uh, someone from Otniel who dropped everything to the rescue people a lot of some symbolism each way you slice it there are actually a number of Torah scrolls in the water not in the water but uh, being written in the works uh, yeah. it gave impetus yeah it gave impetus to you know private projects just people the rabbinate the army rabbinate always has a few Torah scrolls in writing. So it brought those Torah scrolls to be written by the troops in Beirut. At the bat- right, at the front. Yes, I saw that. And uh, there's a guy called uh, Noga Safel. He's a, he's a scribe, Safel. That's, you know. Nice. <laughs> that's so fair. Scribe. for you. Yeah. He's a high-tech d- dude from Pardes Khana. He's been writing his scrolls on the side for years. But when the war happened, you know, he picked it up got a couple of friends to, to to strum the guitar and went around victims' families, hostages' families, soldiers, just just gave impetus to a number of these projects already in the works. Of course, writing a Torah scroll, more than 300,000 uh, characters, a lot of work, it takes years, and a lot of money usually to complete. Okay, all right, thanks for that, Kanan. That's a little bit of hopefulness at the end of this daily briefing. So thank you, and thank you, Sharon, for being with me today. It's been good to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, listeners, for being with us on today's installment of The Daily Briefing. This episode is produced by the Podwaves. If you have comments about this or other episodes, drop us an email, podcast at timesvisual.com. Until next time, be well and take care. Take care.